All right. I heard someone say, and I really, in, I really like this, a Christian is like a tea bag, not much good until it's gone through some hot water. And I, I can't agree more, right? Think about that. Christian's not much good until it's really gone through some hot water. I also like, I heard someone say in the past that I don't trust a Christian who doesn't have a limp hasn't gone through some hardship in their lives. Because when you, when you talk to people who've gone through difficulties and challenges, they really give you insight. You really want to learn about life uh, sometimes, talk about life and what's important in life. Go and sit down with someone who has battled with cancer and won that battle, but has, wasn't sure if they were going to win the battle. And Talk to them about what it, what it meant in their lives and what really mattered to them during that time. Because they'll tell you, these, some things just fall aside. They don't matter at all. But if we really want to grow, if we really want to understand the truth of God's word, we need to, we need to be engaging with people who have gone through the trials of life, who have gone through some suffering, have gone through some pain and some difficulty, and then come out the other side, those people can really, really influence us and help us. And I want to begin this morning by reading a story of a faithful missionary, Adoniram Judson. I mean, I, I really got a chance to, to study his life, and, um, and it was just, it's just incredible. I'm going to share a story with you. It says, he went through incredible hardships reaching the lost. When he arrived in Burma in 1812, there wasn't one known Christian. So can you imagine being with his wife, basically his wife, Anna, uh, Anne, uh, and they were utterly alone. They, they were the two of them. The only Christians in the entire country were the two of them. Their baby was born soon after they arrived in Burma, but died eight months later. It took six long, heartbreaking years before the first person came to Christ on June 27th, 1819. It was a slow process, but finally another person came to Christ, and then a few more came to Christ. During one period, Judson was imprisoned for 17 months and terribly mistreated. For the rest of his life, he carried the scars made by the chains and iron shackles they used to bind him. Upon release, he asked for permission to resume preaching. The godless ruler denied his request, saying, My people are not fools enough to listen to anything a missionary might say. Think of the logic here. But I fear they might be impressed by your scars and turn to your religion. Well, then don't put them in prison in the first place. They won't be impressed by his scars. If they're not going to listen to what he says in the first place, why are you worried about it? Why did you put him in jail? Just a thought, my own thought. <laughs> I love that phrase, though. They might be impressed by your scars. Absolutely. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. In spite of the opposition of that ruler, Judson found his way back to Burma, into Burma, where he translated the Bible and served the cause of Christ faithfully for 38 years with only one short furlough back to America. He knew suffering and loss. His wife died on the mission field. Uh, as well as three children and his, uh, that he had with his second wife. I'm going to stop right there and just, if you want to read something absolutely incredible, read the letter, go online, okay, and read the letter that Judson basically um, wrote to his father-in-law when he was asking to marry, okay, his wife. He said, I want to marry her. Read the letter that he wrote to him asking for her hand in marriage. 
You've never read anything like this before. It's basically, are you willing to give me your daughter and never see her again? Because this wasn't like now jump on a plane, you come back, and a missionary gets up front, tells a few stories. You know, I mean, it's not the, it wasn't the same. When she was leaving, he may never see her again. And obviously, she died. He didn't see her again. But you have to read the letter, because it wasn't just that. You have to read the letter that he sent to his father-in-law. So he went through this. He suffered uh, suffering and loss. His wife died in the mission field. Also, their children um, and he had worked and in, 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 in basically waited six years for his first convert to come to Christ. Later, after his death, the government took a census and discovered that 210,000, they didn't think there were any Christians in their country. They later found that 210,000 people called themselves Christians, one out of every 58 Burmans. And today, 9% of the population of that country professes Christ. Amazing. But what's amazing as I was reading that story, how is it that a man like Judson's gone through so much? How is it that he remains so strong in his faith? How is it after all that he's been through, after all the suffering, all the trials and all the pain, how does he stay so strong in his walk with Christ? He wrote this, If I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated suffering. I want you to I want you to hear this 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 line as I say it. Okay, every event in his life, he saw through the lens of eternity. Every event that happened in his life. Was, was, was looked at through an eternal lens. There's a huge difference when we look at things from a temporal perspective and from an eternal perspective. And I want that to be one of the things you hold on to this morning as we go through this, because it is what we, just, what we study this morning. You know, usually this, this date in the calendar right after Christmas, you do something fluffy. This is the farthest thing from fluffy you're ever going to find, okay? So you've got to put your thinking caps on, because if you truly understand this, and we can grasp this as a bo- the body of Christ, but as individuals, it can change your entire outlook on life how you live every single day of your life now if you come to church for the very first time i just try to grasp some of the concepts here and it will grow this will build as you get closer and closer to god for those who have been christians for a long time this is one of those things where all of us really should take this cd home and listen to it a couple of different times so that you grasp and try to understand what jesus is saying here John chapter 16, verses 20 and 22 says this. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn and uh, while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. How now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take it, take your joy away. No one will be able to take that away from you. Those those words are so profound. Now, here's the thing. 
Can our pain really be turned to joy? Do we believe that? Do we really believe that our pain can be turned to joy? Some people on the way on first service were giving me examples of how God did this in their lives. And they were perfect examples. But we sit here this morning and the question we need to answer is, can our pain truly be turned to joy? Or is this just one of those um, verses or passages we read, okay, and we, we read it and we quote it, but we really don't believe that it has any real power or real application to our everyday lives. This is important. Sometimes we read something, we quote it to other people, but in our heart of hearts, we don't really believe it. We don't really believe that Jesus has the ability to turn our sorrow into joy. Well, this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to drill down into this statement that Jesus, powerful statement that Jesus made. Because if we can understand it, here's if we can understand it and we can apply it to our lives, it will change us. It will it will foundationally change our lives. The example that he uses, I love it is a mother giving birth to her child. Context here is, you know, the the disciples and what they're about to go through. And he uses the example of a woman in labor. Labor, if you don't know this, creates a lot of pain. Okay? Labor creates a lot of pain. It it really really starts out not, not so bad. It starts out with, ooh, honey, I think it's time. I think it's time. The first time we had a, 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 our first, our first uh, daughter, um, Deb said, oh, I think it's time. And, and she, I said, are you sure? It was a stupid question. Um, if you can understand how you know it's time, you know it's a stupid question. Uh, are you sure? Because there was so many, you know, uh, along the way. Maybe it's time, maybe it's time. But she said, it starts out with, honey, it's time, right? And there's, this, there's, a, there's an excitement. There's like an anticipation and excitement that quickly turns, though, Okay. It quickly turns into, this is all your fault. This is all your fault, right? Right? My mother told me not to marry you. Cherish the memory of everything that brought around this baby. It never happened again, right? It's all, it becomes your fault. And you know, be, be real careful too, because when a woman's in labor, one moment she's just rubbing, she's touching your face, next moment she's going with the cheeks and she's pulling your mouth, right? That, that pain, that pain, it's, first it's, oh, hold my hand, hold my hand. Then it's, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me, right? You don't know what to do. You're just standing there with your hands in your pockets. You're like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? But there's a lot of pain involved. And I, I have experienced it with, with my wife. I haven't experienced it. I just watched it. <laughs> That's kind of an experience. And then I have two daughters and, and six grandkids. So I've seen, I've seen a lot of labor and it's a lot of pain. But then, but then through that, all that pain, then something, something actually happens. Something happens. The baby is born. And I'm telling you, every single time it blows my mind. This baby is born and things change. Pain supernaturally is forgotten. I mean, I, I, I know you know we are always in pain, but supernaturally, it, it, it's, it's forgotten. And the, the sight, and don't leave out the smell, okay? The sight and the smell of that baby allows everything in, in life to completely change. Everything seems to change. I'm going to tell you something about babies, okay? I don't care if a woman is 16 or 96. It, it, the smell of that baby does something to women. 
they hold someone else. I, I, when we, a certain time, I'm like, don't, don't have my wife a baby. Don't give my wife a baby. I watch it too. It's just the smell of that newborn baby, that new baby. It changes everything from pain, from sorrow, all the, the pain that's going on to joy. There's a transformation that happens in our lives when that baby is born. If the reverse were true, most of you would not be here. Think about that. <laughs> now you're getting it a little bit. Okay. If the reverse were true and they remember the pain, most of us in this room would not be at the firstborn. That'd be it. Okay. That was fine. Good. We got one. Good. That's done. Right. But it's not. That birth, when that child is born, there's a transformation that happens and it goes from pain to incredible joy. In verse 22, it says, so with you now is your time of grief, but you will see, I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take it away from you. They will not take away your joy. See, Jesus promises, Jesus promises his disciples that their momentary sadness and pain will be turned to this incredible joy, to this, to this, to this continual joy. He compares the pain and the bliss of motherhood with the pain and the bliss of his disciples. That's what he's doing right here. He's comparing the two. Before he goes to the cross, he's talking his disciples and he's comparing those two things. In both cases, the past is overshadowed, overshadowed and leads directly to unexplainable joy in motherhood and with his disciples. Now, he tells them, he goes and tells them that the foundation, that the foundation of their joy the reason that they are going to have this joy is that he is going to see them again. They're going to be able to see him again. He's talking about his resurrection. But we all know that at some point we're going to pass from this life. We're going to be with Christ forever. And there's going to be no more sadness and no more sorrow and no more, no more anything that's destructive or whatever. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about when we die. He's talking about right now. He says, you will see me again. And he says something else. He says, when you see me again, when that happens, no enemies, no circumstances, no external forces will be able to take away your joy. Nothing in this world, nothing this world can do to you will be able to take away the joy that you will experience when we see each other again. Amazing. He's promising something to the disciples that he can follow through. He, he can follow through on his promise. It's a joy that cannot be taken from them. In this life, without God, without a relationship with Christ, that cannot be said. It cannot be said. It's even difficult as Christians. It's even difficult with people who are very close to God to live that out. But that's what Jesus is promising here. Now, I don't want you to miss this. This is so important to you. If you start to drift just the tiniest bit, come on back. OK, come on back. I don't want you to miss this. Your sorrow, it says, will be turned to joy. This is not just, hey, I felt this way. Now I feel this way. It's, it's not the same thing. It's not merely one emotion being substituted for another, but it's one emotion becoming another. A big difference. Not one emotion being substituted. Hey, I'm up here now. I'm having a good time. I go home and get hit by a car and my feelings of joy have now gone because they've been substituted by another feeling. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying it will become what your, your sorrow will become your joy. Incredible. 
What he's saying here is incredible. I, I was so taken with this. I, 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 don't, I think I've pondered this sermon more than any sermon I've, I've, I've thought about in a very, very long time. I always study. I love to, to, to teach myself before I teach you. I love to apply it to myself before I apply it to you. But this is so profound. I was thinking about other things, other substances that change from one thing to another. Changed. And I was thinking about, I, I, I got online, started looking at substances that change, and metals do that. You know, you got a metal, you leave it outside, it turns to rust, and you take a, you take a, a copper coin, and it, when it hits the air, it starts to get that green color to it. And the substance, that green substance is different than the copper. It's not the same. It is transformed. The oxygen and copper mixed together create a new substance. And so I'm thinking about all of these, all these examples that I could come up with, none of which really did this justice, But Jesus is basically saying that one emotion is not substituted for another. One emotion becomes another, the other. I I think that's amazing. This this can only mean that the look. This can only mean that the that the cause of our sorrow reverses its action. The cause. That which caused us sorrow now reverses its action and becomes the cause of our joy. Like the birth of a baby. Think about that. Not just, hey, I'm feeling this way. Hey, hey, and now I'm feeling, oh, I'm feeling sad. I feel different. It reverses its action and then now becomes the cause of our joy like childbirth. We need to remember, again, the context of this verse it's the, it's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the sorrow and the pain of the disciples. Can you imagine what they must have been feeling? Now, try to enter into what they're going through. They, 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 are, they love Jesus Christ. They have watched him do miracles. They believe. They believe. They, they followed him. He is their teacher. He is their leader. He is, you know, they think everything is going to be great. And all of a sudden you're standing there, Okay. And you're only human, all right? You live in a human world, flesh and blood, stuff around you. The Romans come, the Jewish leaders come, and basically you're standing at the foot of a cross and you're watching this man be crucified next to two thieves, basically. And you're thinking, my whole world has now come crumbling down. It's come crashing down around me. Everything I, everything I believed, everything that I was hoping for, everything that I longed for, everything that I've been, everything is now gone. He's dead. He's dead. Can you, and, and the grief and the despair and the sorrow and the confusion that they were going through. You ever have one of those nightmares where you wake up? It's, 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 not just, it's not just something that you see in your dream. It's something you feel in your whole body. And you wake up in like cold sweat and you're, maybe you're crying. It's just overwhelming. That's how they feel when they, while they're awake. While they're awake, that's what they were feeling. This intensity. Put yourself in their position, okay? That's what they're feeling. And all of a sudden, something transpires. I mean, it's like they go through, they, they go through all this for part of three days. For part of three days, all they felt was fear and sorrow and panic and despair. And then, all at once, all at once, the power of the resurrection shakes them to their emotional foundation, he is risen, okay? He's alive. Historically a fact, okay? Not something I just, you know, believe in. This is an historical fact. He's alive. 
all of a sudden their sorrow and all the despair and all of their, their, their going through is changed completely. The event which has caused their intense grief and their utter and complete brokenness and despair suddenly becomes the reason, suddenly becomes, is transformed into the reason for their incredible joy and a dream that empowers them to reach unthinkable heights. These people are changed completely. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start a series. Next week, you don't want to miss. I can't wait to preach a sermon. Uh, but I, the next couple of weeks, in two weeks, um, we're going to talk about the prodigal son next week in a way you've never heard it before. That's first. And two weeks from now, it'll kind of lead into the next series on apologetics and defending the faith, answering difficult questions that you have. Everybody walks in with difficult questions. We all have questions. I have questions. And we try to we try to work through them and learn them. And and we're going to talk about that. Some of the more difficult questions that people ask you, some of the more difficult questions you have in your mind, we're going to talk about those things. But, you know, this this is one of those things. How could how could a group of people that were so discouraged, so downtrodden, so overwhelmed with sorrow and all of a sudden just be completely changed where there where these people are literally turning their pain into power like the world has never, ever seen before? People literally transformed the world as we know it. A bunch of people crying on each other's shoulders. All of a sudden, something dramatic happens in their lives and they become these, these supernatural, powerful forces that, that are rejoicing and basically have this steadfast confidence. Their pain, their loss is turned to something completely different and they engage the world, the world, the way the world has never seen before and they change everything. They change everything. And you have to ask yourself, how could that have possibly happened? How could, what, what is it that lifted them out of the pit that they were in? What is it that lifted them up and transformed the way, listen, the way they view the cross? The way, people didn't walk around wearing crosses, okay? These were symbols of death and misery and suffering. When you were hung out, that's the last thing you wanted in your life. You didn't want a crow. Look how my nice, my, my silver and gold cross is. No one wore those. They were symbols of death and suffering. How is it that that symbol in their lives is changed from that to a symbol of hope, a sign of hope? What on earth happened that would transform them like that? I want to stop for a moment. I want you to just reflect on that. I want you to reflect on the fact that these disciples went from total and utter despair, total and utter misery to an incredible change of emotion and the ferocity in which they shared the gospel. Okay, these people went from denying Christ. All right. Many of them just hiding, scattering, denying, whatever the case may be, discouraged, downtrodden, beat up. They went from that to this ferocious desire to share the love of Jesus Christ with anyone and everyone around them, regardless of the outcome. And the outcome for every single one of them, except for John, was death. Somehow that didn't stop them. Somehow there, I mean, think about Stephen, go back and read Stephen's death, okay? Somehow there was this joy, somehow there was this overwhelming peace and confidence and comfort and everything you can throw onto that pile when it comes to, it's all right, it's okay. Not only that, but I'm excited. This is incredible. What on earth could have done that? 
What was it that changed these broken, fearful, lost disciples into heroes and martyrs, mostly martyrs? But what was it that turned even those who, not just the disciples, but the women who were with them and and all the people who saw him and were experiencing Jesus Christ while he walked the earth and then he comes back and he's walking with them after death, he is resurrected. That's the only answer. That, That is the only answer. The answer is that he was raised. And, and some, suddenly, the temporal didn't matter anymore. The here and now, the, you know, the things that we worry about so much and the, that how we live our lives, we, we think about things in the here and now, that's all that really matters. All of a sudden, that didn't matter so much to them. What mattered was the eternal. They turned their emotional darkness into a light of hope and joy. I want you to think about it. Unless these disciples were complete and utter lunatics, and they'll say that sometimes in books. They'll try to explain away their, 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 what happened to them. They'll try to explain away why the disciples were so fervent, why they were so bold, why they were so uh, passionate, why they were so ferocious in sharing the gospel with anyone with an earshot, why they, were, why they didn't care whether they were put in prison or sawed in half or crucified upside down. They try to make excuses for that, like they ate too many mushrooms in a field together or something like that and got high. And like, yeah, yeah, Jesus rose, I think so which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But there's no explanation for their changes except that the miraculous happened and they actually saw what they say they saw. And they were literally changed, okay? Not figuratively. They were changed from sorrow to joy. Their emotions were changed from sorrow to joy. Now I want to talk to you about us today. Does this same principle, which applies directly and historically to the disciples and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, expand to cover our sorrows and our challenges? That's, really, that's, what, I, that's what we want to know here. Is it ju- was it just in the, at one circumstance, or does it expand to cover our sorrows and joy? Can our sorrow be transformed into joy? Do the storm clouds of your life have a silver lining just waiting for the sun to shine upon it? Or was it just meant for them? Jesus is telling them, listen, that their purest joys can often be transformed sorrows. Their purest joys, what gives them the most joy in life, what gives us the most joy in life, Jesus says, that can come from transformed sorrows. It's incredible if you think about it. Everything that's ever happened to you in your life, everything that's ever happened to you in your past, Jesus can transform it. See, death can hide life just below the surface. Just below the surface. The, 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 the blade the, that cuts through the deep scars of the plow that cuts through the dirt allows the life-giving rain to produce its crop. You know, sometimes you need, the ground is hard and it's, it looks completely dead. But then that plow cutting through, the deep scars of the plow cutting through that soil allows the, the life-giving water to go down and water that seed, that life that's underneath, and it brings forth its crop. What was hidden underneath. You see, this is the amazing metamorphosis that Jesus produces. This is a metamorphosis. This is one thing, okay, being transformed into something different. 
This is one emotion being transformed. What once caused incredible pain is now causing incredible joy. And that's not only, he's saying that's not only for childbirth. He's saying this is what can happen in our lives. This is what we can experience in our lives. He, he, he plants a seed of joy in our hearts without our knowledge in the moment of our deepest despair. Think about that. Everything you've gone through, I don't care if you're over three years old in this room, you've probably gone through some pretty tough things in your life. Teenagers, junior hires, elementary elementary school, older, it doesn't matter. And can you imagine the truth that Jesus comes along in this world that's filled with some pretty tough stuff, some pretty difficult challenges in school and at work and in relationships. And in each of those situations, he plants a seed of joy in that difficulty, in that sorrow, in that loss. He plants that seed of joy in our darkest despair. It's absolutely incredible. Your distress, if you will, becomes the fertile soil in which that seed can grow and flourish. And I think it's absolutely amazing. You know how we talk about beauty coming from the ashes? I thought about tattoo. I I, I looked up a lot of different things because I, I thought about the analogy of like when a fire comes through and it burns and seems to kill everything. If you look where a fire has come through, like a forest fire, it annihilates everything in its path. And you walk on that ground right after it's been burned and you think everything is dead. But then something miraculous happens. There's life that is planted right below the surface and it springs forth. And that's what we're talking about. Jesus is saying, I can take your darkest despair. I have planted a seed where the enemy has caused you such pain. I have planted a seed of hope and of joy and of peace and of contentment. And all you need to do is believe and know that I am with you because he rose from the dead. Listen, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he does more than light your path. We talk about this. true. It's true. Jesus lights your path. It's true. He does more than walk beside you. He does, even, he does more than just carry you. He dwells within you. And he's planted that seed. This is what I love what he says too. He's planted that so, seed so deep within our hearts so deep within our hearts that nothing in this world can uproot it. Nothing in this world can snatch it away. He's planted that seed of of joy in our hearts that nothing, no enemy, no circumstance, nothing external can take away what God has planted in your heart. It is there. It is there. That means transformation is possible in every area of our lives. Put this all together, okay? That means transformation is possible in every single area of our lives. Wherever we have sorrow, the seed of joy is just waiting, waiting to emerge. Wherever you have sorrow, wherever you have struggles, wherever you have difficulties, wherever you have challenges, wherever you have emotional or relational, whatever it is, struggles in your life, the seed of joy is just waiting to emerge. It's waiting to emerge. The question is, are we willing to water that seed? Are we willing to believe? You know, I, the disciples, they saw the reason you have to really stretch, okay, to say that all oh, the disciples were a bunch of, all of them were a bunch of lunatics. The hundred, not just disciples, the hundreds, the thousands of people who died, okay, for what they, they would have to die. You say, well, people die now, they blow themselves up. Yeah, they die for some, they die for somebody tells them you're going to go, you know, to, to, to this, you know, heavenly place, whatever, you blow yourself up, you go to heaven. 
They don't know that for sure. They they believe that. Okay, these guys would have had to die for something they knew was totally untrue. Hundreds of people, thousands of people would have had to die for something they knew was completely and utterly untrue. But they believed because they saw it. And then Jesus comes around and says, blessed are those who who believe but do not see. Talking about us. It is a lot harder for us. It's a lot more challenging for us to water that seed, to believe that Jesus has planted that seed in our lives, that he's just waiting to emerge, waiting to come, bringing that beauty out of the ashes. It's a lot more difficult for us. That's why he says, blessed are those who believe and who have not seen. That's us. But the disciples had something. Something happened in their lives that transformed everything. When Jesus Christ appeared to them, it changed their reality, if you will. It changed the paradigm. It changed their thought process. They went from a temporal way of thinking, oh, he's dead, he's hanging on, he's dead, life is over, to all of a sudden, wait a second, everything he ever said was true. Everything he ever told us, everything he did, everything we experienced, it's all true. And they see everything from now in eternal perspective. What does that mean? That means if we believe that, if we truly own that, if we would live that out, he can change your marriage from sorrow to joy. He could change your job. He could change your career from sorrow to joy. He could change your problems from sorrow to joy. He can change that loss that you've experienced this year and or in the past from sorrow to joy. He can change your financial situation and the struggles you face with your finances. He can change that if you give it over to him. If you live according to his word and live according to what he has called you to do, you, he, can, he can change the sorrow of your finances to joy. Listen, he can change your past failures from sorrow to joy. He can use those. What was once something that caused you misery and and made you feel embarrassed or whatever the case may be. He can can change your regret of things you've done in the past. He can change those from sorrow to joy. He can change your past, whatever it is that you've been through in your life, that someone has inflicted upon you in your life or that you have inflicted upon yourself. He can change that from sorrow to joy because he has planted that seed of joy in the midst of our darkest despair. And it's just waiting to emerge. I'm sorry. That is almost beyond my comprehension. That's why I spend so much time just not just studying this week, but really trying to, to, to own this. And how do I express this, God? I was, trying to, I was saying all week, how do I express this? And one of, the, one of the thoughts I believe he's put in my heart is that, you know, when we look at life, a lot of times the enemy puts things right in front of us. All these temporal things, uh, problems at work and uh, my problem with my marriage, and my problem here and my finances and all of it's right there in front of you. You can't. And what, what Jesus is saying is the disciples were able to do is they were able to see past the temporal to the eternal. They were able to see Christ in and see through all of those things and see him in everything. 
He became their all in all. He became everything to them. No matter what they faced, Christ was a part of it. He could overcome it. And even if, even if at the end, the temporal led to death, they were saying, what can man do to me? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Paul said it. Paul was in prison. What did he care? Just different circumstances, different situations, same purpose. Beaten, shipwrecked, whatever you want. Different circumstances, but you know what? He saw through it all. He saw through all the pain and all the discouragement and all the suffering and all the sorrow. He saw through it all, and what he saw was the eternal. He saw Christ working in all of those things. Nothing in this world could steal his joy because Christ was everything to him. That is not just religious jargon that I'm throwing out to you this morning. It is, it is biblical truth. It is truth. It is life truth. If you see every circumstance you go through through the light of Christ, if every event if every circumstance and every event that you experience in life is seen through the lens of Jesus Christ, everything will be different. Everything will be different. It's like putting on some 3D glasses, if that's, if you understand, putting on some different glasses and seeing something you've never seen before. Seeing the world in a whole new way. It's profound. I want each of us, honestly, to take some time this week and not let this go. Listen to it again, but dig deeper. Dig deeper and try to understand to the fullest extent what Jesus is saying to the disciples and what he's saying to us, because this can transform our entire lives. The disciples got a glimpse of the eternal, and it changed everything. Everything became Became the, that, that was the lens from which they saw every experience in their entire lives. And if we can grasp that, if we can understand that, it will change us as well. Here's my point as we go forward here. Understanding truth and living out truth, understanding it and applying truth to your life really matters. It matters. In a world where everything, even in Christianity, is getting fluffy, and not too deep and not too, not too pushy. And let's, let's all just, let's just float along. You believe that, I believe that, it doesn't really matter. It matters. What you believe really matters. How you apply this truth to your life really matters. When it comes to relationship with your husband and your wife, when it comes to relationship with your children, when it comes to relationship at work, how you, what you do at your job, how you overcome your past, all of it matters. That's real life. That's real life. And the baloney that you're sold every day of your life out there is not going to help you one spit in this world. What will help you is understanding the truth of who God is and how he can work in your life. That, my friends, is the feet to the ground, rubber meets the road. That's what really matters because we're all dealing with reality here. And the reality is that Jesus Christ did raise from the dead. That's why the disciples' lives were completely transformed. That's why when he told them, I'll turn your sorrow into joy, he meant it and it actually happened. And that's why we're all sitting here this morning. That's why the whole world is changed because of Jesus Christ. That is why. It is true. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get into a series called Stand. Does it really matter what you believe? 
And I'm going to answer that question every single Sunday. Yes, it does. And we will go through the hard questions. We will walk through the difficulties. We will walk through the challenging passage that maybe you haven't you thought about. and say, What does that mean? I don't understand this. We're going to go through those. Maybe I'll even put a box up and you can put some questions in there and I'll try my best to get to some of those. Because it matters what we really believe. It matters. It matters to every single area of our lives. And whether, well, I won't get into it now. Just, I want to do this series because I'm really getting concerned about when I go to movies or I watch television and, and all, of, all that's creeping in and this whole idea that, you know, well, it's your truth and it's your truth because you believe in we're all just one. It doesn't matter what truth is and doesn't matter what reality is and doesn't matter as long as it matters. It matters. It matters. It matters. It matters to every single area of your life, everything. So we're gonna, I, wanna, I wanna help you see things from a different perspective. I wanna help you to stand firm in your faith and overcome some of the roadblocks that you've been facing because of the questions that you have. And hopefully each one of us will be transformed by the indwelling Holy Spirit and allow Jesus Christ to truly be the lens from which we see everything. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for a a congregation, a group of people who will sit here and listen to some pretty deep and profound truth right after Christmas. God, we love you. We look forward to next week and looking at something from a different perspective, the prodigal son, Lord God, and, and then in the weeks to come, Lord God, I pray, dear God, that each one of us would look into our own hearts and realize how important it is for us to be here But then we would also remember the people that we wrote down on that big piece of paper in the back, all those people who don't know you, who probably have more questions and more concerns and want their questions answered. Lord God, I pray that we would encourage them to be here as well, that we would invite them to be here with us as well, that we would have some boldness in our lives to reach out with love and draw people close to you in Jesus name. Amen. Have a great week and happy new year.